there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And we are finishing up Three Cool Months with yet another interesting three movie. Um, We've covered Rocky Three, which was good. High School Musical 3, which, I mean, depending on who you ask, was bad or nightmarishly bad. This week, I feel like we're ending this little segment with a bang. Or a whimper, perhaps. (laughs) It's definitely a whimper because this one basically ended the series. Oh, it ended a whole franchise until it didn't. We are watching, we're re-watching, I should say, Spider-Man 3, released in 2007. Oh, dear. So, Spider-Man. We talked about him a little when we did the Marvel series. Right, the Tom Holland version. However, of course, this is Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, that we're talking about. Spider-Man 1 and 2 came out in 02 and 04, respectively, and those are considered very widely to be awesome sauce. But um, this movie is not that at all. Uh, I haven't seen it probably since it came out. I don't feel like I've watched it at all ever since it came out. I've definitely watched it since 2007. Not many times. But I also have a friend who likes to send me the fucking meme of fucking Toby dancing. <laughs> That's always fun. The thing about Toby Maguire's Spider-Man. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> each Spider-Man has something different. That makes them unique and makes them Spider-Man. Toby definitely had the nerd aspect down. Even though, you know, he was playing an 18-year-old and he looked 30. He still looks in his 30s and he's supposed to be in college. Uh, Garfield had Spider-Man down. Mm -hmm. Like, he was uniquely really good at Spider-Man. The quips, the humor, like, he had Spider-Man. Oh, I don't know, hon. I think Toby has some quips in this movie. Uh, They're so quippy. In this movie, which is two hours and 16 minutes long. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it felt that long, for sure. It was pretty excruciating. I want to say Spider-Man is in this movie maybe 20 minutes Oh my god, yeah. Like, so much of the movie is taken up with other things that aren't actually Spider-Man. Like, we have different villains. We have fucking Sandman, and then we have Venom, and then we have Harry Osborn slash the Goblin. But then, on top of all of that, we also have the plot seemingly come to a screeching halt at one point just to make room for the most melodramatic soap operatic love triangle sort of kind of situation it's just oh my god there's a lot happening in this movie (laughs) yeah and you can feel the strings being pulled behind the scenes because the one character that sam raimi did want in this movie was sandman and he feels like the best character in the movie like venom's an afterthought well, reportedly, 
Sam Raimi, who was behind this film, didn't really even want Venom in the movie. He doesn't really like Venom as a character. But the producers were like, no, no, he's popular. Put Venom in there. So, yeah, it makes sense that Venom was just kind of tossed in there willy-nilly. Well, that's the thing. Venom is a very popular character. Why, I don't know, because we also tried again with the Tom Hardy thing, and that hasn't worked out too great. Like, let's stop now. Well, the thing about Venom is he's supposed to be like the mirror image of Spider-Man. It works in the comics because he eats brains. He's basically a horror movie villain. Right. It works well when you connect him with Spider-Man, but you have to have that connection be established already. Right. Like, he's in the black suit Spider-Man, which still looks cool. Yeah. Tom Hardy, at least, is a better casting choice than Topher Grace. I'll give them that, but... Yeah, but it, it, the thing about Tom Hardy is they don't want him to be a villain. Right. Well, that... Yeah. And it's, they, and they, they almost play it like a black comedy, which could work, but they don't really play up the horror element enough for it to... It's just... You're right. It's basically a horror villain more than anything else. And they, in the Venom movies play more like a superhero movie than a horror movie which if they did it the opposite way it might work better so coming into this movie i remember when this movie came out spider-man 1 was huge spider-man 2 might have been even bigger yeah absolutely it was i think then you get to all this hype i remember the news stories i remember spider-man and you had goblin sandman and venom on the cover of like people magazine like oh it's just gonna be the biggest spider-man yet too much too much (laughs) even at that time i remember being like that's a lot of characters i'm like we've already established goblin technically but like you're adding two more villains now see if it was a different time maybe they could have benefited from making it a part one part two but i think at that time they didn't really get to that point yet where they do that that really started with like harry potter If they had split Spider-Man 3 into two movies and made other very drastic improvements with the writing and the VFX and everything, then (laughs) and the casting, you know, maybe then we could have gotten somewhere. But it was too much to cram into one movie. And no offense to Topher. I like Topher as Eric Foreman. I think he plays a funny role when he plays the nerd and the goofy guy because that's who he is right and he left that 70s show to do this movie so like yeah fuck fuck you (laughs) and that 70s show had its worst season when he left yeah and i mean i don't blame him for leaving because like if you get the opportunity to be in a spider-man movie like of course you're gonna take that obviously but like he's horribly miscast yeah you shouldn't have put him in this just having him next to toby is just like it doesn't work he's not intimidating yeah no he he, also his voice is not intimidating at all so when he's in the venom suit with his fucked up teeth for why did you have to fuck up his teeth like that it just looks stupid he's like trying to be you know snipey with toby and it's just it's so dumb and like listen the toby mcguire spider-man movies all three of them to an extent have dopey moments right oh yeah I mean, you know, it's it's cam- more campy than the Marvel movies and even the Sony Andrew Garfield movies. It, it has a certain je ne sais quoi type of camp, just specific to those three movies, which is fine. But I feel like with this one, it just ups it like 150%. And it's it just is more evident 
because of the fact you have Venom in there who is this dark character and you, you have this you want to bu- build this dark tone and I can't believe that Sam Raimi of all people has a problem developing a dark tone in this movie <laughs> like like this is the guy that did Evil Dead <laughs> like how are you having problems sir I think a we're in a weird time for superheroes 2000 to 2010 we have a the Spider-Man movies, the X-Men movies. Oh God, that we have to tackle at some point because I've seen none of those. <laughs> like we are in a weird place. There's a lot of CGI. Also, CGI is a fucking disaster. Oh my God. Because we got Star Wars CGI here. It's so bad. Like this is a weird time for movies. Yeah, that's true. The 2000s in general, especially with CGI, you're right, are bad. And like I know that particularly the first Spider-Man, I remember having certain cgi weird moments like i remember in the first one there's a scene where toby is swinging with uh kirsten dunce in his arms and it looks so fake obviously fake and stupid like she's holding a fucking mannequin behind a green screen like it looks dumb but i feel like this movie was just distractingly bad with the cgi and i feel like they just i don't know maybe i just feel like maybe it's because there was just more cgi in this movie than the other two possibly i don't know but it just it seems distractingly bad like and i'm usually not the type to be like that with movies you know especially older movies with the visual effects because it's just yeah it's it's the time time period it is what it is but i also feel like in a good movie it's easier to forgive bad cgi yeah so maybe we were just annoyed at the movie in general and the cgi was making it worse I don't know, but the CGI was fucking rough, dude. Like, rough. Yeah. I wonder if almost Sam Raimi was over it at this point, too. I think so. I think he was over, like, the studio interference. Because they clearly didn't want him to, like, have complete control. Which is ridiculous, because he gave you Spider-Man 1 and 2, which were a success. So just, like, let him do his thing. Yeah, and I think if he did a movie with just Sandman and maybe Goblin. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like you could have had a good movie in there. Yeah. And maybe even he could have, if you wanted to do Venom, hint Venom at the end for the next movie. Right. Well, supposedly in Spider-Man 4, Dr. Connors was supposed to be the villain. Oh, oh well, yeah. We planted that in Spider-Man fucking 2, I think. Because the lizard's a great fucking character until we fucking do an amazing Spider-Man. And I think he was also talking about doing the Vulture as well with Ben Kingsley as the Vulture. Which would have been fun. That would have been cool, too. But yeah, I think probably after the success of 1 and 2, there was just a lot of ideas, maybe too many ideas, too many cooks in the kitchen, and it just got fucked up. It did. Now, will I say this is the worst superhero movie ever? No. Batman and Robin exists. Batman and Robin. (laughs) Check out our review. (laughs) Exactly. But yeah, it's not good, though. It's definitely on the lower end. And because of the fact that it is coming off of such a big success right it's more disappointing but frankie are you ready to get into this giant we're talking a lot about like the outside stuff yeah we gotta we gotta like nitpick this baby to pieces so let's start off with some preliminary fun facts as we often do as we mentioned this movie was written and directed by sam raimi he also uh did another mcu movie as of late he did the doctor strange sequel which was decent had its problems too yeah but i think that movie actually did a better job at emitting a dark tone than this movie did oh yeah (laughs) 
But also Spider-Man 3 was co-written by Sam's brother Ivan, who actually, I didn't know this, but he's just like a doctor in Chicago and he just like collaborates with Sam Raimi sometimes on scripts and then just like goes back and living his life as a doctor. Like I just feel, I find that really cool. Good for him. (laughs) I'm like, okay. And uh, also we had another co-writer on there, Alvin Sargent, who is a two-time Oscar winning writer. He was also a writer on Spider-Man 2 and um, the Sony one, Amazing Spider-Man. So, you know, he's he's definitely a talented guy. The script's okay. Again, the problem with this movie in a big bad way is that both the action-y superhero aspect of the movie and the character development part of the movie, both of those aspects are bad. <laughs> so it's like, what can you hang your hat on, really, in this movie? Nothing. It's hard. But not only that, it feels like they're fighting each other. Like, there's no cohesiveness at any point in this movie. It feels like one thing is taking focus away from the other. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of behind-the-scenes fuckery going on, as I realized as I did my research. So two of the executive producers on this movie were Kevin Feige and Stan Lee. And just so you guys know, put it into perspective, it's 2007, so what comes out next year? Iron Man. Right. So clearly this wasn't their primary focus. And then this movie... Spider-Man 3 lost not only its composer, Danny Elfman, and got replaced with Christopher Young, who did Ghost Rider the same year. Ugh. But he's he's done a lot of horror scores, which makes sense because there are some good score moments in this movie. Yeah. For sure. That is uh, that is a slight highlight. There's a pretty good sting that they do with uh, the dark Spider-Man suit that is pretty catchy and cool. But also, get this, did you know that Spider-Man 2 won an Oscar for VFX? Uh. Yeah, they lost their VFX guy uh, and replaced him with some dude that I don't know what the fuck he was smoking while he did this movie. Um, (laughs) And then also on top of that, their production designer also was fired in the middle of the movie and got replaced. So there was just a lot of fucker going on behind the scenes. Yeah, that would lead to some problems. Uh, which shows from its Rotten Tomatoes score of 63% with critics and 51% with audiences. I'm surprised it's got a 63 with critics. I, I kind of am too. I was surprised by that. I feel like critics would rip this to shreds. So yeah, those are all my preliminary fun facts. I'm terrified yet excited to get into the nitty gritty here. Scott, are, are you ready? I guess. To rip off this Band-Aid? I, I, I guess. Let's try to do this as painlessly as possible. Let's end Three Cool Month on a good note. I guess. Okay. <laughs> um. So we start with Peter still in college. Ugh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Can we talk about Tobey Maguire just in general? Yeah. I, I want to talk about like his career post-Spider-Man because... My question is, why after the Spider-Man franchise was he so spotty in his career Like after that? Is it just typecasting or is it something else? Like I don't know. Well, I remember after the first Spider-Man, between one and two, they were thinking of recasting him because he was being kind of a pain in the ass. Oh, wait, they were going to recast him? Yeah, they were thinking about recasting him between one and two because... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was... He claimed he had hurt his back during a stunt. Okay. And he was... Oh, is that where the my back thing comes from? Oh, my back! Yes, that's exactly where the my back <laughs> thing so comes funny. from. That's so funny! 
Um, but he was claiming he hurt his back during a stunt. And the only way he would do Spider-Man 2 is if he got more money. Uh, well, I don't blame him for trying to get more money. But the, Sony was like, okay, we'll call your bluff that your back is injured. And we'll cast Jake Gyllenhaal as Spider-Man. Oh, okay. And Toby, of course, balked and came back to do Spider-Man 2. It was back being fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. You have that. So I feel like he's not a good enough actor to get over the fact that he's kind of a nerd, kind of dorky, kind of awkward of a person. Like, he did Gatsby. He did Gatsby. He also did Babylon this past year, which I watched. I talked about it briefly when we uh, did Oscars. But, yeah, he was in it for a few minutes, and he was super weird. (laughs) But, to be fair, he also came back for No Way Home, and that was, like, a big moment for him. Yeah, that was a big... I think that's a reestablishing for him. Right. Um, He was also in Tropic Thunder for a second. Wait, what? Yeah, he was in... Uh, when was he in Tropic Thunder? He I haven't w- seen that in years. He, so. he was uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s co-star in the... <gasps> oh my God! In the fucking like movie where he's a fucking monk or whatever. Yeah, where they're... they're oh my the, God, the, I remember that. They're the gay monks or what something. What the fuck? Toby, what is your career? <laughs> what is your career, sir? Okay. So I think it's it's a mixture of... It's probably a mixture of everything. It's yeah. That he's typecasted, also weird reputation. So I, I think it's just like, we don't want to deal with Toby. Oh, poor Toby. <laughs> More than Maybe he's softened in his older years and they're like, all right, Toby, come on back. Come on back to Spider-Man. Uh, I think now it's like, okay, we were happy to have him back. Now I think we're willing to maybe do a fourth, maybe. I feel like they're going to do something with him. I feel like they're going to, they have to, considering the response that both Toby and Andrew Garfield got in No Way Home, I feel like they'd be foolish not to do something with them. Well, I think what they should do, and this is my honest to God opinion, and if it does happen, it would be amazing. I think you introduce Miles Morales in the Tobey Maguire movie because you have Toby die in the fourth one and have Miles take over. Well, I thought Toby was going to die in No Way Home, which I think that was the plan at some point because he just got stabbed at the end and then nothing happened. <laughs> so I feel like there was a plan in No Way Home to kill Toby. And then they're like, no, 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 wait, let's film it both ways just in case we don't want to kill Toby. <laughs> and then they decided not to. But I think they're going to merge the worlds because I heard might be wrong but i believe tom holland's gonna show up in across the spider-verse oh that'd be fucking the new one. nuts it would be very fun but back to this movie yes oh imagine wait imagine if that happens though imagine angela bassett has opened the door for mcu actors to get nominated gets shafted for the actual oscar and then Tobey Maguire has the fourth Spider-Man movie where he dies epically and he gets nominated and wins the Oscar for (laughs) Spider-Man 4. Just picture that in the universe. Just in our universe. Not not an alternate. This one. Imagine that happening. If that happens, know that I'm going to pull this clip right here and... (laughs) And play it during our Oscar episode that year, whenever that year comes to be. Oh my God! Tw- and then t- and then we'll all have egg on our faces because we all made fun of Tobey Maguire for this stupid fucking dance, uh-huh. and <laughs> and then he's gonna win an Oscar. Oh, he better do the dance onto the stage. I don't care at that point. I mean, he'll never do that dance again as long as he lives. If he did, 
the internet would erupt. The internet would implode if that happened. But it would basically be like the Carlton, like Carlton. No, no, no. People like the Carlton. Everyone hated this fucking. We're gonna get to the dance, you people. We we're getting there. I know. I hate it too. Um. It, that would never happen. Is because something tells me Toby's not the type of guy, and I don't know him obviously, but he doesn't seem like the type of guy to be like in on the joke. No, he's definitely he doesn't seem like that type of guy who wants to be in on the yeah, joke. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's like over it. So, so we've introduced Peter Parker. We've introduced Peter Parker, and now we have to go and introduce Mary Jane. Kirsten Dunst. We we talked about her a little bit on our show when we did uh, Kiki's delivery service, before she did do the voiceover of Kiki herself. But um, she was nominated for an Oscar back in 2022 for Power of the Dog. And uh, I feel like she's also another actress that was pretty h- harshly typecast after the Spider-Man trilogy because she really didn't get a lot of work directly afterwards. And if she did, it was like love interest. Yeah. She's perennially the damsel in distress, including in this movie. They literally, she was so over it. She was like, I'm not screaming anymore. I'm tired of screaming all the time. And they had to just recycle all her screams from spider-man one and two which i don't blame her so yes we go to see mary jane's play opening night and she sings a song she's so excited peter's happy for her he actually made her play this time harry of course also sent her flowers that are a lot bigger than peter's yeah and at some point after the show peter tries to go up to harry and talk to him and he's just like fuck you you killed my dad and then leaves Then he, of course, goes backstage, talks to Mary Jane. They're just such a lovely couple. La-di-da-di-da. I don't know if they have the best chemistry. I wouldn't say they do. I almost want to say their chemistry has gotten worse. I think, well, okay, here's what I'll say. In Spider-Man 3, they're super dorky together in the beginning, like when they're lying out on the spider web together watching the stars. It's very corny and cutesy. And not in a bad way, it's just it is what it is. But I think the problem in general throughout the trilogy with the two of them and their chemistry is that you don't really know much about Mary Jane as a person. You know that in the first one, you find out her father is an alcoholic dickhead. But other than that, you really don't know anything about her other than damsel in distress and wants to be an actress. She's incredibly underdeveloped as a character. She really is just there to be blank slate damsel in distress or blank slate love interest who in the first movie she's... Was she with Harry in the first movie? There was always kind of a thing between her, Harry, and Peter. She was with Flash? Yeah, for a little bit. And then in the second movie, she was with Astronaut Guy. Yeah. And then in the third movie, she breaks up with Peter and within 10 minutes is making out with Harry. So it's like, okay, you're just here to be love interest and that's it. Like, there was a point in this movie where it seemed like they were on the cusp of, like, diving a little into more her character she gets a review from her performance for the musical and it basically says that she sucks which funnily enough I said when she started singing in this first scene that we were talking about I'm like 
she has an okay voice but like it's not a broadway voice it seems unbelievable that she got a role in a broadway musical and sure enough in the review that's essentially what it says and it seems completely unfair because if you cast this lady in a musical you would know from the beginning if her voice was okay enough it just seems like she was set up to fail but that's besides the point she gets this review and she's telling Peter about it. And Peter's just being like, oh, don't worry. The sun will come out tomorrow. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. You know, when Spider-Man gets articles printed about him and it's like, oh, my God, Peter, shut the fuck up. But also Kristen Dunst is like, when I read these words, I feel like it's my father saying them. And it's like, ooh, like that's that's a real fucking thing that she said. Oh, let's talk more about this. And then it's oh no spider-man has to go save somebody bye and then out the door and it's like fuck we could have had a thing there but no during all of this a comet strikes the ground a comet that no one else sees but it releases a black symbiote an ooze of some kind yes that comes and attaches to peter's bike and then disappears for the next 40 minutes Yeah, this whole opening, like the first 20 to 30 minutes is really just establishing everything. And because there's so much to establish, it kind of just hurts your brain a little bit. And while all that is going on, we cut to Flint Marco. Yes, uh, who will soon become the Sandman, played by Thomas Hayden Church. He was in George of the Jungle 10 years before this. He was. Remember George of the Jungle? I do. And you should remember that because that now has an Oscar-winning actor in it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Watch out for that tree. But Thomas Hayden Church looks like the character. They really did a great job pulling the character from out of the comic onto the screen. And I think what these three Spider-Man movies do better than all of the other Spider-Man movies they make you feel bad for the villains. Yes. Like Thomas Hayden Church does do a good job. And I think there's a reason why out of everybody in Spider-Man 3, they brought him back for No Way Home. They could have just brought nobody back from Spider-Man 3 since it was so horribly panned. But they decided to bring back Hayden Church because they're like, you know, he deserves a little bit of redemption for this new movie so like let's bring him back his storyline in this movie is weird and it's weirdly executed and i don't think it has anything to do with him in the comics nope okay cool great fabulous continue <laughs> so thomas Hayden church is an escaped criminal who has broken out of prison and now is going to go visit his sick ailing daughter which doesn't exist in the comics i believe no but you know sick ailing daughter he brings her up like every two minutes. Every time he does something horrible. At the end of this movie, he almost kills Spider-Man, Mary Jane, fucking half of New York, and Toby Maguire and him are talking, and then he just mentions his daughter, and he's like, Spider-Man's just like, I forgive you, man, bye, and then that's it. Sick daughter forgives you of all of your crimes. Indeed. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. But him and his ex-wife girlfriend who knows who cares who knows are having a fight and there's some weird lines here that frankie laughed about oh my god okay i just want to dissect this for a second because like when i say that the writing in this movie is weird this is like the perfect way to describe it so hayden church is having a conversation with his girlfriend whatever and 
she's saying like oh you escaped from prison they're saying that you killed some guy and thomas hayden church is like no it's not like that i'm telling you the truth and the girl goes oh you and the truth sitting in prison eating three square meals a day yeah whatever and i was like oh that's kind of a good line that's that's a clever little line i'm paraphrasing obviously but i was like oh that's a good line and then literally the next line out of her mouth is i live in the presence of great truth and i'm like what the fuck no one who says that no human being in a real conversation has ever said that who said that who said that I live in the presence of great truth. Unless you're actually fucking Superman, you never, no one has said those words out loud. And I'm like, okay, how can we have such a, like a distinctly clever, good line and such a ridiculously stupid line, one right after the other? I was like flabbergasted. This script is weird, guys. There's three fucking writers and that's, that's what we got. Okay. Got it. Cool. So he goes on the run. He ends up jumping into a science facility, falls into a giant pit. Sand machine thing, because he's going to be the Sandman. <laughs> you get it? Oh, there's a weird uh, new reading in the sand pit. Oh, fuck it. it might, it's probably just a bird. Just... It'll fly away. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> sir, and sir. They turn on the machine. Sandman turns into sand. Oh, he's gone. And this is where we get, like, the first real immense presence of the CGI in this movie. Like, this is the big moment. And while the score is really good at this part, you know, that's kind of a highlight with Thomas Hayden Church turning into the Sandman. The CGI (laughs) is really bad. There's this one part where they zoom in on a bunch of rocks. And I was just like, what the fuck is that? Like, I had no idea what it was. I was like, is this supposed to be rocks? And then sure enough, it zooms out and it's just little particles of sand. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then supposedly it took literally three years to create the visual effects for Sandman's powers. Like that first shot with him forming into sandman took six months to make and they studied sand they had sand sculptors that they consulted with to do all this shit you know it's like a fucking disney production where they had like the fucking lions come in on a leash to draw the lions for fucking lion king it's like a whole big fucking production and like can I be paid to be a sand sculptor? I want to do that, man. <laughs> Make Fuck. sandcastles for a living. I don't. I don't know, man. <laughs> but Frankie, we have to cut to a more important thing. Peter goes to his Aunt May's apartment. Aw, Aunt May. And says, "Hey, Aunt May, I'm gonna ask MJ to marry me." So he's like, "Yeah, cool. I have this ring. Great." He leaves. He immediately gets attacked by Harry who they get into a fucking fight a cgi fight flying through the air with the greatest of ease he's swinging around without the mask and so is harry that this whole movie takes advantage of the fact that new yorkers are oblivious and i can say that because i'm a new yorker yeah like no one's looking up into the buildings and giving a fuck about these guys swinging around with no masks on but let's also talk about the fact that at one point harry rips a wall down oh my god like off of a building yeah and it probably killed several people at least also peter has a couple times where he drops the ring and he has to like spin back Slow and motion yeah grab the ring and all that good stuff 
But the the, the, C- C- the CGI is so bad. Like it's so obvious that they're behind a green screen, and they're just it's so obviously choreographed. The whole fight scene, it's bad. And then the fight ends because James Franco hits his head on a steel beam or something, and that's how the fight ends. And (laughs) then we get the fucking amnesia subplot, which I swear to God was like right out of a fucking soap opera. It was killing me. Like it was literally murdering me slowly (laughs) because the fucking subplot seemed to never end. Yes. Harry now has amnesia. The amnesia seems to be very selective. Oh, yes. Okay. He remembers fucking Peter. Peter Parker, his best friend. He remembers Mary Jane, his best friend's girlfriend, maybe kind of, sort of. But he doesn't remember anything anything about his father. He's like, my dad died, right? And Toby's like, yeah, man, he, he died. And then they're talking later on and he's like, oh, I wish I remembered more about my dad, what kind of man he was. I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, look at this cool house. It's like, you've lived here your whole life, supposedly. You don't remember your fucking house? Nope. It's very confusing. It's very funny because we expected me to be the one who would be angry throughout this movie. I wasn't angry. You I was sound, just confused. You sound very angry. <laughs> Because this is a soap opera plot. Amnesia, for convenience, is a soap opera plot. We need Harry to, like, back off for a while because we have to introduce two other villains. So we need Harry as the villain to back off for a while and go into the background. So how do we do that? Let's give him amnesia for a while. That's what they do with soap operas. And then later, it's a fucking soap opera, too. And, like, the level of ooey gooeyness between Mary Jane and fucking Toby Maguire in this movie in the beginning and like the mushy gushy stuff with the love triangle it's all fucking soap operatic bullshit <laughs> so funny oh my god I think I enjoyed Frankie watching this more than I hated this alright shut the fuck up <laughs> continue with your fucking story there sir uh, so now we cut to Mary Jane's plot line Mary Jean goes back to the theater, ready to do her next role after, you know, the bad review. And it turns out she's being recast. Yeah, I felt really bad for her. Not just because of this, because like I said, it seemed like she's been set up to fail at this Broadway musical. You do feel bad for Mary Jane because she's clearly being overshadowed by not just Peter, but by Spider-Man and... She doesn't even tell him that she lost her job because she just so embarrassed by it and like doesn't even want to fucking hear him say his sunshiny bullshit to her probably that he she just doesn't say anything. And it's funny because they always joke about Superman being the boy scout, but Peter's like the boy scout here. Everything's positive. Spider-Man is now being offered the key to the city. So now there's a crane before he gets the key to the city. A malfunctioning crane that destroys this building, almost killing Gwen Stacy. This is where we're introduced to Eddie Brock. So Gwen Stacy's played by Bryce Dallas Howard. She is no Emma Stone. Not at all. 
<laughs> I miss Emma Stone in this movie. With this crane scene, like I thought that she was being set up to be like a dumb blonde. The crane is flying about and it's coming closer and closer to the window of this building she's in and she just walks towards the window and stares at it stupidly and I'm like, what What are you doing? Move away from the window, dummy. But later on you realize like, oh no, she's not supposed to be a dumb blonde. She's just a person with no personality at all. It's fine. We need more characters than this that don't matter, certainly. And then, yeah, Eddie Brock, who's soon to be Venom. As we mentioned, he's played by Topher Grace. And, um, yeah, it, this it's not good. It's not good. He basically plays Eric Foreman with frosted tips. It's, like, annoying. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> he, he runs up to the police captain, Gwen's father, looks up with his camera, takes pictures, he goes, that's Gwen up there. And the cop goes... No, he does not emote that much, Scott. Sorry. Stop lying. Sorry, sorry. He's like, oh, that's Gwen. And the police captain grabs and goes, wait, how do you know Gwen? Oh, I'm dating your daughter, sir. But meanwhile, he's not. They went to coffee one fucking time. So it's like, dude, his whole storyline... You think fucking Sandman's storyline in this movie is stupid? His storyline in this movie is extra stupid. Because he hates Peter Parker for literally no reason. No reason. I repeat things for emphasis. Spider-Man swoops in, saves Gwen Stacy, even though a couple people have died at this point. So now we finally actually get to this key to the city ceremony that was announced earlier. He swings in. Gwen gives him the key to the city. Everyone's shouting, kiss him, kiss him. Spidey's, of course, hanging upside down. And he goes, oh, plant one on me. Why don't you? Oh, he's upside down. vomit. Gwen kisses him. Mary Jane's very upset, and her and Harry... So stupid. And her and Harry run off. Okay, so let me just just have my moment here for defending MJ, which is something that I never thought I would do because MJ is not a great character in these movies. So she's clearly upset about something going into this key to the city thing, and Peter is talking to her and nothing then he leaves to go stand on top of like the scaffolding to swing in as spider-man and he's just looking at this adoring crowd and he just audibly says to himself oh they love me it's like okay i get peter's supposed to be narcissistic at this point but like it feels like we went from a level like three or four to a level 11 10 hundred in like two seconds it just feels a little much and then this motherfucker has the audacity knowing that his girlfriend who he wants to marry is in the audience to kiss Gwen State not just kiss Gwen Stacy but kiss her in the same special magical way that he did in the first movie remember when she was in the rain and she had perky nipples yes and it was really hot and sexy he had the gall to do that yeah no shit your girl fucking dipped like yeah i'd fucking dip too asshole and when they later on go to dinner and peter's supposedly gonna propose to mj that's a whole other can of worms too. that scene she's like can you not understand why i would be upset about that and he's so oblivious to the point where like it you're either mentally infirm or you're just being written terribly like you can't understand why she would be upset also during all of this mj is reconnecting with harry mm-hmm. creepy it's creepy it's a little creepy because it's james franco <laughs> 
<laughs> James Franco was creepy. Um, Continue. <laughs> let's go to the dinner scene where we get our Bruce Campbell cameo in every Sam Raimi movie. And we love Bruce Campbell. Honestly, the saving graces of this movie are Bruce Campbell, J.K. Simmons, and Elizabeth Banks. Because every time they're on screen, I laugh. (laughs) So Bruce Campbell here, he's a French maitre d'. Peter's trying to do the whole like, oh, have the champagne glass with a ring in it, blah, blah, blah. The, The corny fucking thing that every fucking guy thinks is the cutest way to propose. It all goes wrong. Mary Jane's upset. There's a running bit where Peter keeps like kind of waving, and the <laughs> and Bruce Campbell thinks that he's waving to him to come in with the ring. And he's and like, like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> it's good. It's good shit. It's a nice little running bit. Uh, during all this, there are pictures of Spider-Man being sold to J. Jonah Jameson. Ah, J.K. Simmons is here. <laughs> he he really is the perfect casting for J. Jonah Jameson. Eddie and Peter are both trying to sell Spider-Man picks. So, J. Jonah gives both Eddie and Peter the task of, I want Spider-Man's hand caught in the cookie jar. I think he's a He's a menace! Yeah. So, they go off. Eddie's like, I'm going to get that picture. Peter's like, no, you aren't, because you're not. Yeah, so that automatically sets up his dichotomy with Eddie Brock through the rest of the movie. Oh, so after this, we get a call from the police. And the police bring both Aunt May and Peter into the police station. Oh, God. This is another moment of how convenient. <laughs> Turns out the man Peter killed. Because he killed Uncle un- Ben in the first movie. Wasn't the man who shot Uncle Ben. It turns out that was Flint Marco. Oh, my God. How convenient. This also seemed like a bunch of bullshit. Like we're just rewriting the story now. It it very much seemed like a soap opera thing. It seemed like how they do it where they're bringing somebody back from the dead almost. When they bring someone back to the dead on soap operas, they tend to kind of rewrite well, history in the way that they die. Like, well, you know, they did die in a fire, but they managed to slip out right before the building exploded. And no one saw them. And, oh, yeah, well, we had a funeral for them, but it was a closed casket. So, you know, we never saw the body. It's like, fuck you. Well, <laughs> the thing is, Peter is very angry. Angry Peter. Angry Peter. You could tell because his eyebrows are furrowed and his eyeballs have bulged. Angry Peter. Angry. Oh, God, help me. Okay. You wouldn't like Peter when he's angry. Oh, God, does anyone like Peter at any time in this movie? No, because MJ comes to try and comfort, comfort him. him. After everything he's done, she still goes back and tries to comfort him. And what does he do, Scott? He yells at her and basically pushes her away. Get the f- fuck out of here <laughs> it's like really but he is listening to the police scanner all night listening for flint marco and he falls asleep and this gives the symbiote the perfect opportunity to bond with him emo peter has emerged i repeat emo peter has emerged well emo peter chases down sandman who's robbed this bank which proceeds to the sewer subway fight And because there is the Venom now in the picture and Harry is still kind of in the background, but he's slowly going to try and come back into the picture now. So we need another villain to go in the background again. So we proceed to quote unquote kill question mark Sandman by throwing him in the sewer and flushing him down the drain essentially. But this eventually leads to 
Norman coming back and being like, remember me? Oh, yes. This is when he gets his memory back and Harry is evil again. Eyebrows. (laughs) Voice deeper. It hurts. It hurts my brain. And he goes and captures MJ and is like, if you want Peter to live, you're going to do something for me. Then we get the breakup scene, (laughs) which is both genuinely sad and like kind of funny because Peter is such a little bitch. (laughs) I have this ring. He's just like sobbing and like emotionally manipulative. And he's like, look, I have this ring here. See, marry me. And it's like, whoa. Okay. And then, yeah, it was sad, though, because like she clearly didn't want to do it. And it just seemed to me. First of all, again, it's very soap opera-y. We're doing this this love triangle type thing or this twist on a love triangle because Harry is like watching in the trees in the distance as Mary Jane breaks up with Peter and cackling evilly. And eating popcorn. Right. But in the logic of the scene of the movie, right, he can't hear what they're saying, Harry. So MJ could very realistically just be like, hey, don't react, Peter. But something's really wrong with Harry. He's fucked up and he's threatening me. I think he's the goblin. You could say literally anything. Just don't react. He's told me to break up with you. So like it logically just doesn't make sense that this is even a real thing that's happening. But we we want drama. We want melodrama. So here we go. We have it now. Yes. And then they have lunch together and he's like, I'm the other guy. So oh, sorry, man. It's and like, he- what the fuck? And he winks at Peter and disappears, which is also uh, very Which fun. is also stupid. It's like, oh my god, okay, I'm bored of this. <laughs> this is so dumb. Also, while that is going on, just to finish MJ's plot, she gets a job as a waitress singer at a club. Oh, yes, at a jazz club. That's just um, for later. Yeah. Here's the pin in it. But yeah, so this is where real emo Peter comes into play because he is so upset and so sad. He's just sitting in his room crying uh, and then he whips out the black Spider-Man suit and he, he pushes down his hair purposely in an emo type hairstyle. Oh, yeah. It clearly looks like he's wearing eyeliner. Oh, when he he, You never see him put on eyeliner, but it's there. And emo Peter has officially been born into existence. So he goes to fight Harry. They have a fight. Harry tries to throw a grenade at him. He throws the grenade back at Harry basically blowing up half of Harry's face. So we cut back to the bugle, where Eddie Brock has found this picture of Spider-Man stealing money. Mm-hmm. And he's gotten this job, and he's all happy. And Peter's like, fuck you, buddy. That's a fake picture. And he's like, dude, don't fucking do this. Why the fuck not? You're a fucking liar and an unethical journalist. Like, this is what I mean when Eddie has absolutely no reason to be mad at Peter. Because you did something completely wrong and potentially illegal, question mark? Like, why are we pretending that Eddie Brock is a victim? You took a picture, literally just a picture of Spider-Man flying through the air and cropped it, put it in front of a bank with, like, money bags in his hand or some shit and, like, tried to paint it like he robbed a bank. But no, Peter's the bad guy because he exposed you. Okay, that makes sense. So Eddie gets fired and he Eddie gets Peter. fired. And then um are we are we up to the dance? We now? are now Are we fully immersed in emo Peter? Are we we are dancing now down the street. Immersed in 
emo Peter dancing down the street. People Get Up and Drive Your Funky Soul by James Brown begins to play. And Toby McGuire just starts dancing. Raise up, get yourself together. Drive that funky soul. Get up, get yourself together. Drive your funky soul. I wonder what he was thinking when they were filming this sequence. I really do. I wonder. Shooting finger guns. Twisting and turning with his emo ass haircut. Doing the thing where you do like a wheel with your arms. Like He looks so stupid and I feel bad, but he looks like a fool. Why was this choice made as a, a representation of Venom Peter Parker? I understand like the initial free Spider-Man are all a little goofy. This just feels so out of place. Like, when people point at bad scenes in superhero movies, this will always come up. Who thought this was a good idea? Who? Who? Was it you, Sam Raimi? What did you do? What made you think that this was going to work out? (laughs) Did he see, like, the teenagers listening to emo rock and was like, oh, the kids are going to love this. That's why they gave him that fucking eyeliner, isn't it? God damn it. God damn you, Three Days Grace. (laughs) I was about to make a free thing. God damn you, my chemical romance. Why why have you done this to us? God, I hate everything about you. <laughs> why do I love you? Oh, God. This certainly is a black parade. Peter goes to MJ's jazz club with Gwen Stacy. Yeah, and I felt bad for Gwen, too, because she was totally oblivious to the fact that, like, he was taking her here to basically use her to make MJ jealous, which when she does realize it, she apologized to MJ and like leaves. And then she goes to sing MJ because it's her job. And Peter just jumps in on the piano and like starts making it all about Peter, which was the big problem with their relationship before any of this even happened. He literally takes over the musical number by like defying the laws of physics with these dance moves. And then he starts slow dancing with Gwen and it's just so fucked. And then the bouncer comes to kick him out of the fucking bar and he attacks the bouncer. MJ tries to stop him. He swings his arm back and hits MJ and she falls on the ground it's so bad. It's and so get, bad. But also we get the fucking line every time this happens in like a fucking movie. The girl goes, who are you? And the guy goes, I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> like the thing is, I, I probably went into watching this movie with like the most open mind I've ever come into watching this movie. Same. I was like, you know what? It's probably not as bad as I remember it being. But it's pretty bad. It's still pretty bad. And we're, we're like three quarters of the way through. That's the thing. Like all of this has happened and we're still fucking. There's so much to go. Oh, my there's God. Not, there's, well, we're almost at the climax, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> Are we not? I didn't take any notes anymore until the climax. I guess nothing happens that I cared about. Oh, God. What, what, how much more? <laughs> so now because Eddie Brock is following Peter. Peter goes to church. Oh, right. They go to the church. Oh, fuck. Peter is... Brooding. Brooding up in the bell tower. And Eddie Brock comes into the church and goes, Lord, it's me, Eddie Brock Jr. Please kill Peter Parker. (laughs) Please. Wait, no, that's not a thing you can ask for. And, of course, he hears someone screaming because Peter is trying to rip the suit off. And he goes, that sounds... I know that scream anymore. That sounds like Parker. 
Peter gets the suit off him. Now he's naked in the bell tower. The symbiote attaches to Eddie Brock, who's on the ground floor. I don't understand why they had to fuck up his teeth. They gave him, like, little fucking rat teeth or something. Yeah, Venom has sharp teeth. Yeah, but they didn't give Toby fucked up teeth. So why didn't they give Topher Grace fucked up teeth? He's already fighting a losing battle. He's like a string bean in a fucking Venom suit. He's supposed to fight fucking Spider-Man. Like, can you give him his dignity? Let him have his own teeth at least. No. Uh, (laughs) No. (laughs) So now we got back to Sandman actually re-enters the plot. All right, Sandman, remember him? Guys, do you remember? Do, do you remember Scott? Yeah, I remember. Do you, I, the I, sand guy? He's I, back. Yeah, he's back. He was in the water. He was in the water. But and he, he was mud. But, he, but he, now he's dry. <laughs> and he's back, baby. Venom finds him. He goes, hey, you want to kill the spider? I want to kill the spider. Let's join forces and kill Spider-Man. Yay. That's basically <laughs> all the convincing Sandman needs. Yay. So they go and kidnap MJ. Because it's the climax and MJ needs to be held hostage in a car over the fucking city screaming. Finally, Peter redons his red and blue suit. Oh, yay. And then he he comes to save the day and the American flag is waving behind well, him. Bef- America. <laughs> but before he comes and saves the day. Oh, right. He goes to see Harry. He goes to see Harry. With his fucked up face. With his fucked up face. And he goes to Harry. He goes, I can't do it alone. I need your help to beat these guys. And Harry goes, no. <laughs> Fuck you. Look at my face. You did this to me just like you killed my father. My name is Harry Osborne. You killed my father. Prepare, Prepare to, to die. die. Peter runs off. And then finally, two, however long it is. Oh, between yeah. Oh, God. Spider-Man 1. We got to talk about this fucking butler now. <laughs> to this point, the butler finally goes, hey, I cleaned your father's wounds that night. And it turns out his wounds were from his own glider. Which means he definitely killed himself, which uh, that's not what that means. I mean, we saw it in No Way Home that Peter, Tom Holland Peter, tried to kill Norman Osborn with his own glider. So it very easily could mean that Tobey Maguire Peter killed Norman with the glider. But whatever, it's fine. The point is, it makes a fucking sense why why this is happening it's dumb it's dumb but and it's really not necessary we didn't need that we could have just had harry show up to save the day like he does in the movie later in the fight and just be like i believe you now peter you're my friend and we didn't need the butler we could have just had harry decide to believe peter now well it becomes more frustrating because like if the butler had this information why wouldn't he have given it to harry earlier why wouldn't he have told harry Anytime in these three years. It doesn't make any sense. He had to wait for Harry to get his fucking face blown up? No, it's convenient for the plot, Scott. This writing is just stellar. Fuck. So we get to the final battle. It's Venom, it's Sandman, it's Spider-Man, it's Green Goblin. Venom and Sandman almost kill Spider-Man. I did feel something there when Sandman was just continuously punching Spider-Man. And Toby kept looking up at uh, Kirsten Dunst and like reaching out for her. I felt something there. I was like, oh no. There's a, 
the, the, I, yeah, it's sad. And then Harry comes in and saves the day, and I was like, okay, yeah, cool. There is one very funny moment Just in this, end this. <laughs> in this fight, though, where J. Jonah Jameson shows up to the scene. Oh, uh, like, yes. He really saves the day. He's like, where's Parker? I need someone to take a pic. God damn it. Hey, kid, I'll buy the camera off you. Kid goes, $100. He's like, oh. He gives her $100. He goes to take a picture. There's no film in the camera. She goes, film's extra. And he growls. <laughs> so, yeah. Harry comes, saves the day. And they're fighting everybody. Sandman crumbles to the ground. Venom is about to stab Spider-Man with Harry's glider. Harry jumps in the way. Takes the stabbing. Sacrifice. You know, automatically makes movie better. Yes. At one point, MJ does throw a cinder block at Venom. Oh, yeah. She actually did something to try and get herself out of the situation, which I feel like that's new. It is. Good but for her. It is. <laughs> Spider-Man ends up causing Venom to separate from Eddie with sound. Yay. And then... Tries he, to throw a grenade. At yeah. And then fucking Eddie... He throws a grenade in there and then Eddie jumps in like an idiot because he's like, no, I feel so powerful. Donna. <laughs> Donna. <laughs> and then he blows up. He's dead. Yay. We go to Harry who's like, no, don't take me to the hospital. I'm going to. Well, he's going to die. So he's like, ah, oh, no, I'm with my friends. I love you guys. I'm going to die here. Bye. And then he dies. So sad. And then Sandman has a moment with Peter where he's like, I didn't mean to kill your uncle. It was an accident. Sorry. Uh, my daughter's sick, so I'm going to go now. And he's like, I forgive you. Bye. And then floats away. Okay. Sure. Huh. We, we don't feel the need to make him answer for any of his crimes. Nope. Because his daughter's sick and yep. stuff. Okay. Sure. Yep. Whatever. Whatever, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to Harry's funeral. Harry's dead. Harry's being buried. And then we end with MJ singing a song that she's closed herself off to love. But then Peter comes back into her jazz club, which probably wouldn't happen because let's face it. He would have been banned probably after the whole incident. Yeah. But I, I do like the ending of this movie, actually, because if you'll remember in the beginning of the movie, the first thing we see of MJ is her singing it at her Broadway debut. And it's a love song. And in the end of the movie, she's singing a very anti-love song. So it's kind of that dichotomy between in the beginning when she was with Peter and now that they're separated. But then you get Peter coming into the club at the end and kind of holding out his hand to her and they dance. And it's not super 100% clear if they're going to get back together or not. They're just kind of embracing and like they clearly still care about each other, but there's a lot of shit that they got to work out. Which I like that, I think. It's different than an, any other, like, normal kind of superhero movie where, like, or really any romance movie with just, like, you know, despite all the bullshit that's happened, we're just going to get back together and everything's fine and rainbows and puppies. Love wins in the end. Right. And, like, it still could, but it kind of gives the impression that, like, there's a lot of bullshit that we got to get through and work through together, but there's still hope. I liked that better than just, like, the cookie cutter happy ending. You know what I mean? Yes. And I feel like if they got a Spider-Man 4, they would have at least tried to expand upon that, but they never got a Spider-Man 4. Yeah, well, Kirsten I, was supposed to come back for No Way Home, but again... I'm sure she was probably doing 
Power the Power dog. The dog. That's exactly the time, why. Yeah. That's why she didn't come back. It would have been nice because he in No Way Home, Toby does mention that him and Kirsten are still together, and it would have been nice to get a glimpse of that when they go back to their own world. But you know, maybe we'll get that in the future. I hope so, even if it's just like a little scene or something. But that is Spider-Man Free. Holy cannoli. Um, yeah, I really wasn't expecting to feel so strongly about that as I did watching it again. I feel like talking it out makes it worse. Yeah, like, while we were watching it, we were okay for the most part. We were kind of just making fun of it. I feel like we felt apathetic about it. Yeah, and then really thinking about it and, like, analyzing it, it makes it worse because you realize just how bad it is on pretty much every aspect i feel like if you had separated this out into two movies you could have done something good with this and it it just all feels so rushed so all over the place that there's no cohesiveness that binds it all together to make a good movie i completely agree with you I think it's a very nice and sweet thing that Toby's Spider-Man kind of has had this rebirth in No Way Home and potentially in something in the future with the MCU. I think that's really nice because this movie would have been a really sour note to just leave off with completely with that character. It's kind of just a bummer because Spider-Man 1 and 2 were so good and so beloved. It really is just kind of a shame that this is the last movie in the trilogy and that they never really got a chance to redeem themselves from this in this particular franchise. I had this rated as a one and a half out of five stars on Letterboxd and I did not change it. I did not feel any differently rewatching it, so I just left it the same. Scott, what did you rate this Spider-Man 3? Uh, I have it as a one and a half as well. Again, a lot of your anger from analyzing this, I feel the same way from. I might not be as vocally angry right now, but there is a lot here that just frustrates me. And that's usually the problem I have with some of these characters, because especially when you get to know a character so well, and a movie does that character so much injustice, it's frustrating. This movie is utterly frustrating frustrating yeah and like i i want to like it i do i i want to like thomas hayden church and sandman i think that's a good thing that could have been expanded on and done well but he's so bogged down with the venom stuff with the goblin stuff with the fucking melodrama with fucking mj and harry and peter there's just so much shit here that like the good stuff has no chance to fully shine in this shit ball. <sighs> <laughs> you feel a little better now you got that out? Yeah, I feel a little better. Well, good news is that uh, after this week, we are no longer doing threequels. Threequel month is over. Oh, God. Uh, we are actually taking a break for a week to recover from our many, many threequels. But uh, after that... It will be a new month, which means we're reviewing a new Disney movie. Yeah, Disney magic, baby. So, yeah. Stay tuned for that. And until then, this has been Shoot, 
The Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick, and check out all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back for our fun and fancy free movie adventure. Oh, oh, Toby. <laughs>